Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 94. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he has not seen. This week, we watched the 1978 movie Halloween. So, Charles, tell us about the complicated plot of <laughs> the movie Halloween. A little boy murders his sister for some reason. I guess it was because she was having sex or something. And then he gets taken to an asylum. And then 15 years later, he breaks out and then goes to town where he's from uh, and stalks the main character, Laurie, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And on Halloween night, he goes and kills a bunch of her friends uh, while she's babysitting a kid. And she goes to, to check out, check on her friends and finds them all dead and gets attacked by Michael. And she manages to escape his attacks and fight back a bit, but he seems to be unstoppable. When she's finally, when it finally seems like she's about to be killed, his old psychiatrist comes in and shoots him a bunch of times, um, and they think that they're safe from him. But then they look over the balcony where he fell, and he has disappeared. Into the sequel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, this was your pick, Crossman. Uh, what what brought you to Halloween beyond you know, the obvious? I mean, the obvious. I mean, it is the obvious, right? Yeah. It's, it's the proto slasher film. It defines the genre in many ways. Yes. Um, there's a couple slasher films before this, but this one really like, this is, it. This is mm-hmm. how you do a slasher film. You have the unstoppable, slow-moving force. It stalks uh, attractive teenagers and <laughs> seemingly killed at the end, but really somehow it gets away yeah. or comes back just at the last second. Right. Runs off to franchise land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also a John Carpenter film. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it does. Uh, but it really put Carpenter on the map, and we wouldn't have Carpenter without that. And, yeah. Or and his career as Oof mm-hmm. without that. Yeah, I don't, I'd be interested to see what your reaction is to this, Charles. Well, that's the whole point of the yeah. show, then. So, <laughs> Charles, what's your reaction to this? So, I thought it was good. It's just, it didn't quite feel like it lived up to all the hype around it that I've been hearing. How could it, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's hard, right? But another problem is the classic Seinfeld isn't funny trope where I feel like I've seen this exact movie done so many times and it's been done better in other ways because people have had time to refine the craft since this movie came out. Um, And so going back to the genesis of it, I just see all the ways in which it's done less well than I've seen it elsewhere. And like, it was weird seeing this right after It Follows because they're similar in so many ways, but I felt like It Follows was done (coughs) in a much more interesting and compelling way. Yeah. Um, I agree that I enjoy It Follows more than this movie. That said, I got a lot more out of this movie than I thought I would on this feeling. Really? Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed it much more than I anticipated enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I'm glad I watched it again. I, I saw this, I, like, the way I remember this movie was just, like, straight ahead slasher, which it is. Yeah. But there's a lot more going on here um, that I think this movie deserves credit for. Um, and I, I enjoyed it for that. How'd this join land for you? Uh, the, what really stood out to me was the music. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. It's iconic, though, right? It is iconic, but like, rightly in, so. in context, yeah. it is great. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I was I was reading... Well, so I looked at Carpenter's uh, IMDb page, and this song, he must have made his fortune like just off this <laughs> song, 
Did he write seen, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Since the beginning, wrote, music by John Carpenter, right? He wrote Didn't, it with some it. like music professor that he was like friends with. Okay. But he's like credited as the writer of the song. And it appears in so many other pieces of media that <laughs> the rights of loan to that song, <laughs> he must be like a millionaire many times over. Wow. Um, yep. But this film, uh, apparently the budget was so low that he agreed to like take a cut of the profits. And, <laughs> and they hadn't figured out Hollywood accounting at yeah. that point. Because <laughs> the budget for the film was like $300,000, which at the time was like a million or in like today's right. dollars or something. But he, he got 10% of the profits of this film. <laughs> that which alone. Is like, he doesn't need the music rights. Like that alone. He's the, set for the life. writing rights. He's yeah. co- he co-wrote it with uh, his girlfriend at the time. Okay. Uh, it spawned a bunch of sequels. <laughs> uh, made his career, essentially. Like the that alone... Like, yep. He'd be a millionaire so many times over just from the TV streaming rights of this of this struck gold movie. and the box office take, which was huge. Yep. Compared so it was to an immediate budget. hit when it came out. It wasn't like a massive like blockbuster, but it was like a hit, and it was uh-huh. the '70s, so the movie runs for like six months sure. in, the, in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of chances. Um, watching Halloween on Valentine's Day. So what? <laughs> It, I, the film's actually like really astounding because they wrote it in like a couple weeks. That makes. I mean, the script here is not hefty. The executive right? producer was like, "Hey, you should make a movie about a guy that murders babysitters." And that's exactly. And it was going to be called the Babysitter Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that doesn't quite have the same thing. They were surprised to find out that like Halloween, the namespace was open for whatever reason. There had never been a film called Halloween up to that, that point. That is surprising. Uh, he wrote this film right. in two weeks with his girlfriend. Yeah, and she apparently wrote all the the women's dialogue. Okay, which is that's uh, interesting. interesting. Um, yeah, three hundred thousand dollar budget, which is nothing. Yeah, uh, the main the person I could pay the most was the psychiatrist character. Okay, he got like ten grand for it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and there was some like funny piece of trivia where like. Everybody just like kept their clothes from the film as like additional payment, essentially. <laughs> you I mean, keep they're the just normal street clothes. Yeah, they just they just <laughs> kept their like clothes. Wait, so the Michael Myers actor got to keep his creepy jumpsuit and the mask? Yeah, the mask. Then that mask is probably worth a, worth a fortune in its own right. I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, it's one of these like little miracle films that just and now it's like you just found a giant genre. Yeah. Well, and it, it's part of that. Triumvirate. That, that happened really three big times around this time, which is with this one, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. This is the first one. Um, and in a lot of ways. Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. pre- predated this and also was similar but d- different in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. such right. that it's still like a very. It's like in the DNA of this film, but it's not this film. Right. And it, yeah. it lacks the. Like the villain in that movie is not. doesn't hold the same cultural space that Mike Myers, Freddy Krueger. And um, Jason, Jason, Jason Voorhees, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think of those three together, yeah, and I think sure. a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an it's an important an impo- important film in that respect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it feels so much like a prototypical horror movie, um, even in the sense that like 
so I've, I talked about this last year when we did this series, and you guys both disagreed with me, but I feel it's so obvious here that I want to raise it again, that <laughs> there is this thing that happens in, the, at the beginning of horror movies where the acting's really bad and the dialogue is really stilted, and it feels like everybody is just waiting for their turn to say their line. And I think it's in this movie in a very obvious way. And I don't know if you, anybody noticed it, but like the, almost throughout this movie, but especially at the beginning, it's really, really bad acting. Like yeah. to the point where it must be intentional. Right, like there's, there's almost a Brechtian effect at play here, right? Where like you, like this style of acting is so specific to this genre that you're, you're not only reminded that you're watching a movie, you're reminded that you're watching a horror movie specifically, as though to, to, call, to call the audience's attention to the fact that this is a, a movie in this category. So I, I don't know, I, I, raised, I, don't, I forget the context in which I raised this, but I raised it again. And, right, like that's a thing. And that's a thing that happens in horror movies a lot. No, it was in The Thing. Okay, yeah. The film, which is also a Carpenter movie. Carpenter, and a better movie. Like, I, I like this movie a lot, The Thing. Stands apart. It's a later career. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the acting in the thing being that bad. But right. here, I specifically noted, like, the line delivery here is just atrocious. Yeah. And I, 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 bad feels harsher than I intend, right? But stilted, right? And, like, stiff. And for a lot of people, that just means bad. But here, I think that it is functional. Mm -hmm. Like, in, insofar as it does something within the movie that feels like it makes sense in the movie. Um, and... I just wanted to call attention to that. <laughs> like, I feel like it is. But very how does much it make sense in the movie? Because I think this movie is very much about observation and the act of viewing and being viewed, right? Because that's really how Mike Myers spends most of the, his time in this movie is watching people and then barely being viewed himself, and how objectivity and subjectivity collide, right? Like that you are as an audience a a viewer but then become viewed by the film and so when the especially in horror so when the acting is bad and is reminding you hey you're watching a movie remember this is a movie which is exactly what Brecht did with theater I think that that acting choice and that directing choice comes to serve those themes of observation and being observed and voyeurism right. I just I just feel like if the acting were better, I'd care more about the characters, and then it would matter more when they get killed. Yeah, you would. And the movie doesn't necessarily want that. Right? I think that the like movie... Like, that makes it scarier, though, <laughs> which serves the movie's purpose, right? Like, that's why It Follows was more convincing, is because the acting was better, and so, like, the stakes were actually there. Like, here... Like, I mean, it's a horror movie. You should care about what's happening on the screen. It's just like he's stalking them and he's about to kill them. I'm just like, oh, yeah, these people are about to die. Like, whatever. Like, none of it was convincing to me. I wasn't that scared by it. To me, what... Are you familiar with the concept of the panopticon? Very vaguely. Across me, you've probably heard of the, the Foucault's panopticon. It's like the prison Close. where right. you're always observed. Yes. Okay, so I feel like Mike Myers is like a personification of the, of the panopticon. Right, where the, the premise is that it's the structure that the person at the center of it is able to view all of the subjects at any time. The subject does not know when they are being observed, and critically, the viewer cannot be observed back. Right, so it's this ultimate control of who gets to watch what and when. Right, and I think that that is very much what Mike Myers is representing here. He's constantly looking at 
his future victims, right? He's seeing what they're doing. He's plotting their, his strike. He is moving around their space. The movie very critically opens from his perspective, right? Not just with him as the character we're following, but literally through his eyes as we see him watching his sister through the window, follow him into the house, see him very intentionally grab the knife, walk upstairs, viewing from his point of view. It was a good one cut. Yeah. Too. Yeah, re yeah, really just yeah. a very striking scene, famous for a reason. Critically, the because it's Foucault, the Panopticon was an instrument of punishment, right? Like yeah. it was supposed to be a prison, right? Which is also very much what Mike Myers is doing here. He is deciding, he's judging, right? He is deciding who it is that is going to be stabbed and, and, who, and who is not. And so for me, that lines up in a film theory sense and in a semiotic sense because what we're doing when we're watching film is standing at the center of the panopticon, right? Like we are watching the subjects of the film and I think what this movie is doing is saying that sometimes that, that the movie can watch, watch back at us, right? That, that, that horror movies are not doing what conventional integrated Hollywood blockbusters are doing where you take the real, the fantasy, and combine it with the symbolic, the the unreal and bring those things together so that you attain your desire, fantasy meets desire at the end of the film. What happens here is that that is all inverted, right? Where the, the, what, what, your what you desire is not happening here. The sexual release of a, of a romance is replaced with the horror of being killed. Mm -hmm. And to me that is how Mike Myers is functioning in this movie as, uh, as an inversion of that very common Hollywood trope. So when we see these characters that are, whose presentation is off-putting and weird, it reminds us of that, that we're not just watching something, but we're watching people being watched, and we are in turn being watched back at. And I found that interesting about, the, about this film. Um, so I don't know, what do, you, what do you think about this one, Grassman? I yeah, I think what struck me, yeah, the scenes where we're like seeing through the eyes of mm -hmm. like a Myers, I found that to be really interesting. Although what really struck me is that like you know, our expectations of a film like this, or it's just like, you know, you from moment one, we're just seeing like constant like knife murders yes. of mm -hmm. all the main characters. And we really like don't see that. Like it kind of undercuts that expectation. Part right. of it is because it's like the first film to like really mm -hmm. do this so we do see like the sister character murdered up front but that's like a common horror trope where we like see some like initial act of horror mm -hmm. and then we come back to that eventually um, but later when the like killing starts which is actually like quite late into the film it's like it's an hour it's, it's past the hour mark yeah. even yeah. yeah in an hour and a half yeah. long movie <laughs> yes. and he doesn't he doesn't have a, a knife he's like strangling yeah. some of the characters and that like that's how Annie dies yeah yeah and the poster for this well, film is like are off with the knife yeah but you don't get a good look at it the poster for the film too is like a big knife with right. like a jack-o-lantern in yeah. it and it's like the knife is is like a late comer to this film <laughs> right I think uh, that that, I'm sorry, continue. So it was interesting to see that happen. Where, like, really, for most of this film, he's kind of just, like, a stalker more than anything else. Right, he's observing. Um, right. I, I, and I think that's another spot where we see a severing of desire and desired. Yeah. Right, because what you desire 
as the horror audience as the knife plunging into the the teenager, right? And you you it happens, but you don't see it. The other thing that w the other very classic the fundamental desire, right? Sexual desire. Every there are two sex scenes in the mo this movie, and they are comically brief. Right? Yeah. Like, these people are all very bad at having sex with each other. When that is again the, the act that they're being punished for most frequently, and the the sex is so ineptly portrayed, not in the sense that John Carpenter is doing a bad job, but in the sense that they are inept at it, that it becomes unclear that they're even doing it at all, right? And so you once again are not getting, the audience is not getting that merging of fantasy and desire because the, the sex just doesn't make any sense in terms of how we both experience it and depict it in film typically. It's a, like I think there's a lot of that going on here, like the, uh, literally severing the, the things that we normally see merging in, in movies. Um, and in a lot of sense, that's that's how horror is meant to function. One thing that like still got me was when she's being chased in the house, the mm -hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis, um, and she like hides in the closet, and he's mm -hmm. like looking for her like in the closet. That's that still felt like just yeah. like the constrained or the constricted area, and like and what happens in that scene felt like a lot more real than some of the other stuff. Right. Like, the other stuff is like, oh, yeah, this this character's going to die. And you're, you're, like, not surprised yeah. at all when it happens. <laughs> like, when he, that first girl that he gets, like, when he's in the back of the car, I'm just like, like three, know, yeah. two, yeah. one, there it yeah. is. Yes. Yeah. When it's in the closet, it's, like, much more tense because yeah. you're like, no, don't go in there. Right. But maybe it's okay. Maybe he, like, will, like, not but if I do that. definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then he's, like, breaking through the, like, slats in mm -hmm. the closet yeah. door and she has to, like, fashion herself a weapon. Like, that, that that was all, like, very tense and, like, still held up for me. Yeah. As, as soon yeah. as she... It's well shot. As, yeah. As, oh, yeah. yeah. As, as soon as she grabbed that hanger I and got him with it, I googled when Roe v. Wade was decided, <laughs> and it was decided between 63 when this movie be opens with the cold open and when this movie actually takes place. And I don't know if there's, because this movie's about family, right, and like kids and, you know, interfamily murder and things like that. Uh, it made me wonder. I don't think it's actually intended here, but it made me think of that. Yeah. But I think what is intended here is the ironic merging, right? So what, what you typically see in the mainstream Hollywood romance, comedy, action movie, whatever, fantasy meets desire at the end. Instead, what you see here is that she, when she emerges from that closet, you have, you see her, the knife first that she appropriates from Mike Myers, that's the first thing that sticks out of the closet. You see her cast a shadow against the wall, right, with the, the knife firmly in frame and her having stabbed him standing over the dead, but not really dead, body that she just dominated, swapping roles, right? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. that, that, so we have a merger in this movie, but it's the merger of the frightened, powerless girl against the dominant force that's overcoming every obstacle in order to get closer to her, again, romance-like, but rather than they them becoming romantically involved at the end, they merge into a single person, and she takes its place. Um, so again, the, uh, typical of horror that you see that kind of perversion, inversion, severing of normal fantasy desire mechanisms. What did you think of that scene, Charles? Did that hold um, up for you too, or like? I was wondering why she dropped the knife. Yeah, of <laughs> course, of course. 
Yes, the, the phallic symbol. <laughs> it worked, yeah. I don't know, did it feel like, I, I was like, ten, like I knew it was gonna happen, but it was still like tense for me. Yeah, I mean scene. like, I could tell from the way the scene was shot and the way it was building up that it wasn't over. Yes. Uh, <laughs> even though it was trying to imply to you that it was. Um, so I was like, all right, what's gonna happen now, right? And then uh, it was interesting that the music, I think the music stopped and then he got up. I yes. think it was something like that. I think you're right. Which was interesting because usually in the movie, whenever Mike is active, the the same theme plays, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it was weird to see him move without any music to him. That's true. Yeah, and, and in some ways, like then the absence of the music makes it more unnerving. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that we've become so used to it. Yeah. And now it's like this thing that's missing. Right. It's like it's like a comforting marker in a way yeah. because it signals to you that there's danger there. Right. Right. When you expect the danger, that's like, that was maybe one of my problems with the movie is that all the danger is so telegraphed that I didn't feel tense at all mm -hmm. yeah. because you know it's all coming. Right. And this was one of those few moments where it felt like you lost a bit of that comfort of expectation. Right, it's it, because this movie is semiotically really interesting, right? And in that it creates its own semiotics with that music, and then almost points out the the semiotic critique that the symbol and the, the signified and the signal don't have anything to do with each other, right? Like the music is not in any way representing intrinsically Mike Myers, but as soon as it's gone, it becomes weird yeah. <laughs> that he, yeah. that it's not there with him. Carpenter said that. I, it might be in the wiki article. I, I forget where he, he said this, but like, it, he said that like he doesn't know how to read music. Okay. Huh. Like at all. He just like knows keyboards, and that's yeah, like I mean, it's thing. all in order, <laughs> right? Just goes by feel. <laughs> Which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Like it is. Uh, the fact I think that you'd learn at some point. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> it's not that hard. All of his music is so iconic, and yeah. yeah. To but not I mean, like. He probably doesn't know that much about semiotics either, but like this movie yeah. is so rich. Nonetheless, so rich with semiotics. It was uh, apparently in the reviews. This was compared like pretty favorably to Psycho, like, in the it way that be. like he uses light and like camera mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, points of view. Yeah, because we see that in Psycho and in the shower that we we yeah. are seeing from the point of view of um, the Psycho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I really like that yeah. scene where. I think Mike is in the closet and the light like shows his face appear like in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's when the guy gets killed. Like I Mike just appears right. from behind him um, without him actually moving the light like shines on him or something. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Following that you have that great shot of him stuck to the wall yeah. with the knife. Oh, he through. puts the knife through, through the him. guy and yeah. he just stands there. Somehow and sticks it's there. enough yeah. to hold right. this and, guy up. Yeah. Right, and it just, again, spends so much time on us watching him watching the victim. Yeah. Right, just more observation. Like, you stick on that shot of Mike Myers just, like, staring for a while, right? Like, several seconds, you're just there. And just, I think, again, driving home that theme of It's of amazing how much of the movie is, like, accidental and... and like the mask itself is just like a it's a Captain Kirk mask yeah. <laughs> and they painted it white and then like cut the eyes out larger and now it looks weird as hell and it's so iconic and it's just like you know it's just some mask that they like spent like a few bucks it's on it's extremely from, like, scary hall. like yeah I mean it's weird because all the it's pictures so I've seen of it are scarier than seeing it in the movie which I didn't expect <laughs> yeah I thought I'd be pretty freaked out by it because I'm a little bothered by it just seeing it but it wasn't too bad in the movie actually yeah yeah there, there's a great YouTube video that I want to track down about 
why masks are scary. And I was floating around last year. It's like, un is it, un is it get into like the uncanny? Yes. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. How yeah. it talks about like the, yeah. the reason masks are scary is because we don't know what they're concealing because yeah. like the face is something that we so strongly associate with humanness. Yeah. That it becomes inhuman when it becomes distorted just a little bit. It's why clowns yeah. are scary. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Which is again the thing we see in this movie. Right. Like he, yeah. what does he do at the beginning of the movie? He picks up a clown mask and he puts it on, and then he's in yeah. a clown outfit at, when we pull away to see that it's a child that murdered, murdered her sister. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that same kind of distancing Mike Myers from humanity, which is something the psychologist does throughout the film. He is not a man, he is an it, right? That was one thing that didn't hold up. For the treatment yeah. of like yeah. mental illness is <laughs> yeah, <obviously>. not good. <laughs> right, I mean, there, and, and politically this movie's a mess. Yeah. Right, like the, this is a deeply conservative film. The writer was saying that she, uh, she was like, well, she she didn't. I forget exactly what she says, but she says that like she launched like a thousand de uh, philosophy degrees or something, or like movie criticism <laughs> degrees. Probably and uh, good, right? Like, it, yeah, th this movie needs it. Um, and the the easiest one is certainly like the level zero feminist critique. Just a bunch of women getting killed. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, that is <laughs> exactly what's going on in this film. Because they have sexual desire. Right. Right. Like like look at the. I mean, this is a very easy read of this movie. But Annie and the other girl are coded as having sexual desire, acting on that sexual desire, and they're immediately murdered for it. Whereas. Yeah. Lori is coded as motherly, right? Like she's yeah. the one that takes care of kids. She's knitting all the time. She wears an apron at one point, right? Like she dresses like she's she 45 years old. She looks way older than she's, she's supposed to be. Yeah, she, she's cast. They cast an older-looking actor, um, and she is the one that gets to survive. She's I, not I punished. still think uh, this film like treats its characters better than like all everything that followed uh, in slasher. <laughs> I that, mean that's a pretty low bar, but the, yeah. I mean part of the reason is that this the other slasher films were a bunch of copycats that weren't as good at filmmakers as John Carpenter. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, for sure. But I don't think they like flesh out their like. There's, there isn't like humanity that's given to the characters here. Yes, it's the way that there's there's like a lot of character building that's done in this film where we like we see them like as humans and we see them like <laughs> which again is a low bar but like right but what we what we see is i'm not arguing that the film isn't problematic but i but i think that like what followed from this film was much worse than the origin yeah, sure and yeah. i mean you know more about those movies than i do so yeah. i will defer to your experience. Yeah. What I see in this film is that they take the time to show you exactly why these women deserve to be killed, right? Like, because th this movie goes a long way to make Mike Myers a uh, figure of fate and inevitability, mm -hmm. right? And like the movie specifically states when it, it does that very common thing where it has the student in the classroom, teacher's giving a lecture, and the lecture is, this is the theme of the movie. It's well, <laughs> weirdly <laughs> <Right>? relevant. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also saw it though as like showing how, well it, it's interesting that he starts out essentially as like a stalker. We know that like he's murdered in the mm -hmm. past, but it escalates when we get to the Jamie Lee Curtis and her friends part, where at first he's just like stalking them around the neighborhood, and then it becomes weirder where he's like entering their homes and, and then you killing know them. results in, in like them killing them. So I, I thought that was like interesting as like a view on like stalking and like the escalation of, of violence as it relates to like the real world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah that's like, certainly true. Yeah, that right. like felt 
realistic and interesting. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, because yeah. it's interesting. A lot of things are interesting about this movie. Yeah. One of them is that I am not persuaded that we're not supposed to at least sometimes identify with Mike Myers. Yeah. Right. So like the well, it forces you to from his perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So like very common technique. You put the audience in the view of the person you want them to sympathize with, like the first person perspective of who you want to sympathize, them to sympathize with, and that's exactly how this movie opens and returns to that perspective multiple times throughout his stalking, right? So I think that that is partially what's going on here, and I think that there's something to be said for the idea that Carpenter thinks that maybe slutty women do deserve it a little bit. <laughs> I, I think that that is the, the, the movies are composed of choices, right? And he chose to say the women that have a lot of sex should get stab will get stabbed, or perhaps justice will fate will meet out a stabbing to them, and the one mm -hmm. who acts in a traditional motherly role will find a way to overcome, right? And you and specifically use her motherly resources to do so, right? Because they, what they it, even say that she's uh, too smart for the men or something right. like that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, there's tons of lines like that, right? Like the the the, the boys don't want her because like she a studies. Common way to 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 degrade women. Right. Well, and to, and to separate them, right? The, yeah. It's a total Madonna horror complex thing. Yeah. Right. So like the the first time she lays Myers low, she she stabs him with a knitting needle. Mm -hmm. Right? She gets him with a hanger, right? Like it's these domestic items that she's using to dominate him, and then she only actually is able to defeat him in any kind of partially final way when she takes up his phallic symbol and stabs him with it. Um, so I think I, 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 it's hard for me not to read this as something just very, very chauvinistic um, on, on that level. I, think, I still think it's an interesting movie, um, but we have to engage with that. Right? Like We have to address that. What do yeah, you think? I can see it. You can see it? Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, that's that. I, I still. Enjoy it seemed it. pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and the, this is the the, the levels you're overeating. There have been feminist responses to this, where they talk about how this movie treats gender in a fluid way, um, in terms of how that that role switching towards the end of the movie, which I think is a valid response. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still hard for me to get around the idea that all the women who have sex end up getting killed, and the one who acts like a mother doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, in general. You know, one thing I was surprised by by this movie was, and we mentioned it a little bit, was how slow-paced it was, I yes. guess. Because I have an expectation of these kind of slasher films to be very action-heavy, like the kind of action movie equivalent in horror, right? Um, and, you know, two-thirds of the movie is just, like, the girls talking to each other and seeing Mike on occasion, right? Yeah. And so I was like a little weirded out at how bored I was during that part of the movie. Uh, just these people acting badly and being pursued. Like it was a little creepy to see him appear and disappear here and there. When he's like it, up it, in the bushes. Yeah. Yeah, that one was like. Like it, it built up pretty well. It's just that I didn't expect so little of this movie to be murder. Yeah. It, he, it gives it this, I don't, I don't want to say plotting pace in a negative way, but this. It, it makes him seem plotting and inevitable, which I think is is the the point of it. That you spend so much time thinking about him eventually acting, that like I think that's where the tension needs, is supposed to come from. Like you considering like, okay, when do we get to the part with the knives? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, but like, I felt like it was milked a little too long, where it went beyond. Oh my God, when is this going to happen? To 
uh, when is this going to happen? <laughs> right. And that will, your results might vary uh, for that <laughs> yeah. in that sense. And it's an early career film. Yeah. And movies were slow at that time. This is yeah, from the 70s. True. Like, movies are paced really slow. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, it still yeah. works, right? Like, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with it. Like, I, I think that. Yeah, like, Night of the Living Dead is. Wait, this is post Star Wars, though. It Barely. is post-Star Wars. It's 78. Like, yeah. yeah. It's post-Star Wars. And it has a microscopic budget. Too. <laughs> yeah. Just super budget Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I think that it still landed for me. Uh, that, I, I th- that it didn't follow the slasher formula, right? Like 30-minute mark. That's when things take off, right? Like get, get in your hour's worth of blood and guts, movie's over. Um, that I think that that created a tension in my experience of watching the film anyway. Um, which made it worthwhile, and just like no, like you sit on a watch a ninety-minute movie, like you're not committing that much. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, it was it even ninety? I thought it was like eighty. Oh, it's ninety-one. It's ninety-one. Oh, it just made it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just um, made it. Just made it. So, it, and again, I think it even set like it sets so many tropes for this genre, right? Like not yeah. just the last girl or the final girl thing, not just the uh, punishment for sex thing, but even just the the macro level structure. That you know, slasher movies are ninety minutes long, right? Because yeah. Halloween's ninety minutes long, and it was good. Therefore, ours should also be ninety minutes long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see what it follows. Like took from this yeah. film, and structurally, it's right there. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other one I was reminded of, um, which is not a horror movie, but No Country, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mike Myers and the uh, and Shigura have a lot in common, right? Yeah. Like these constantly un- unshakable figures of fate yeah. that. You know, will follow you. They're always where they need to be. Yeah, and or if they're not, they will be there, right? Yeah. They're they're always a step behind you. He even Um, jumps out the window. Yeah. uh, In the same way that Mike Myers does. And survives. Right. And you even have that moment where he like inexplicably disappears when it looks like he's dead. Yeah. And then he shows up. From Halloween. Yeah. yeah, It shows up again later on, which will happen in Halloween too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This movie does not have the critique of fate that No Country had. I think this is a movie that is embracing the idea that fate is there's is on that first legitimate. level. Yeah, like that it's not about human choice, that it's just there is something primal in the universe that is yeah. going to get you. I, I did think it was weird that they went the supernatural route and had him be impervious in the end. Like that came out of kind of nowhere and I didn't I don't like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I, but I mean, apparently even when he was a boy until now he's just this manifestation of fate that's impossible to kill. I guess that's just what he is. Right, and I, I think that that is, again, part of what this movie is doing, right? Because the other thing we do with, in terms of like merging in film, right? Well, we talked about the merging of the desire and desired and the uh, desirer, is we do that in interpretation too, right? Like we we want film to be able to be placed into language, right? Like we want to take images and say this and, and turn them to text, right? Merge them into one thing. And this movie isn't doing that, right? Like, why is my why is Mike Myers killing these people? Because he is. Like, why can't he well, be killed? Because he's. And I think he's that's not. like mm-hmm. another one of the like enduring problems with the film is that it like it treats criminality as like permanent. Yes. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like this person is always broken. Then they like did this horrible thing, and it's just there's no way to fix to them. There's no way of redeeming them. Yeah. You, right. And again, I think that's a political level problem with this movie. Yeah. Um, but on uh, again on a semiotic level, I think what it's doing is saying that the meaninglessness 
And I, I don't say that in a derogatory way. I mean in, in the sense that there isn't a meaning to what he's doing. Like he's not motivated by anything. He's just, this is just what he does. I think that interacts on the level of film theory in that maybe there are images that we aren't supposed to be able to place into language. Right, like maybe the, the maybe the reason that photographs, uh, a, a, that the photography and film and cinema compels us is because sometimes there are things that we just can't know, right? That can only be represented in this form, in the same way that there that there are figures in the world and 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 aspects of the world that we cannot know, and that that's what's so fascinating about them. And Mike Myers is one of those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. um, but uh, I think unfortunately the legacy of, of that is something that we're still affected by the like criminality is like inherent yes and mm -hmm. well and and this movie kind of makes that move explicit right mm -hmm. because numerous times the psychologist tells the sheriff or whoever that like don't call the other cops it's it's useless there's nothing they can do this facility can't hold him right like the, the sense that that our rules and our law enforcement and our legal system or legal even legal concepts are are trivial here. Are mm -hmm. meaning, meaningless here and cannot help us. Yeah. All right. Which is a, a weirdly like anti-law perspective, <laughs> right? Like well, the cop is shown to be like very like dopey. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and like ineffective. Right. Who? It's not the cop that shoots him at the end. It's not the cop that. And it's not like an over-police neighborhood. It's just like the one like well, cop I mean, in the neighborhood. White <laughs> suburb. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just uh, Officer Cranky over there. Um, so it's interesting. Well, I mean, this is you know film that was made by young people, made very quickly, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I don't think they were expecting to have this like cultural impact right. that we, this document does. Do you yeah. wonder how much thought they put in all Probably that? not a lot. Probably none at all. Yeah, no. Right, or, or very little. Which so, I mean, that, that makes it all like subconscious, right? Yes, which yeah. makes it more true to yeah. who they are. Right, like I, the, the the statements you make accidentally are often the truest statements. <laughs> or you know, it's or it's just what you do as like a shithead young person, and like your right. views yeah, get of course this was years ago. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying John Carpenter is the same guy that he was when he made Halloween. He yeah. definitely or is. the woman that wrote this too. Right, yeah, yeah. Of, of course not. But the, yeah. the the text is the text, and what the text says is is, is these things for yeah. sure. Right, and it also it also has another commentary on suburbia, and we see this in all of these. Yes. Horror films because they're always said. This one's very early to that game, though. Suburb. I mean, this got a. This is like yeah. the progenitor of the genre, so yeah. it kind of yeah. inspired all that, right? But like, <laughs> you know, suburbs are supposed to be. I mean, we always talked about talked about it before. It's supposed to be like this very safe and sheltered place where it's a safe place to bring up your kids, mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be very friendly and all that. And it is. They don't even lock their doors. Like the doors right. that are open, they're not like upset. By <laughs> right. it. They're just like, oh, so let me just shut this gets open off. door. Right. But like when stuff goes down, it seems very alienating and unsafe because like your yeah. homes are so far apart, so it feels like you're so far from help. Yeah. These and big yards. she like runs out after the first attack and she's screaming for help and knocking on someone's door and they just kind of ignore her. They're clearly there and they ignore this person who's clearly in very grave danger. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of perception of safety that leads to the under-policing of the neighborhood kind of backfires against them and now she has no protection at all and has to fend for herself. Yeah, and the cops never get there, right? Because it is the... They never do. It's the psychologist, which is a, such a weird move. Like that's... 
yeah, one of the stranger I, yeah. decisions in this film. But. He's totally out of place the whole film. Yes. Yeah. He's like a Shakespearean actor who's doing these like speeches on like criminality and the mind of Michael right, that Myers. Are like very over, so, overblown speeches. Yeah. yeah, they're so sophomoric. And he's totally out of place in the whole film. Yeah, it, he's the, in a sense, the most disorienting character yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Because um, yeah, he does feel like he's dropped in out of some other thing. Um, that's much older than what's going on here. So weird. Um, he's also the oldest person in this movie, I think. Yeah. And the only like name actor at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not true anymore. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. But um, yeah, speaking of which, Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter of the woman who gets stabbed in the shower in Psycho. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, which they knew, I think, when they cast her. Very likely. Yeah. 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 Well, well I, it, she still is good here, and I think they also cast her because she looks older. Right, like she has a, a, does not have a teenage face. I think she was right. twenty when this was made, but she's the oldest looking twenty year old I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, she could she could pass for well into her mid twenties at yeah. least, right? And yeah, I think that that's intentional, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted someone that looks more motherly, sure. and they they found her. Yeah. Definitely. You know, one thing I was thinking about when I saw when this movie was made, and maybe this is unfair comparison, but I was thinking about Alien, which came out just one year after this. Sure. Um, because, you know, I love that movie. I think it's a very effective horror movie that does a great job at creating setting and atmosphere and building up tension and, like, you know, doing the slasher killing sort of mm -hmm. thing, right? Um, now, I say it's unfair because, I mean, you look at Alien, it's such a beautiful movie that's, like, well-constructed, but it probably had a much bigger budget, right? I mean, that's probably... But it's gotta, it's gotta be. yeah. Because <laughs> it's such a beautiful movie. It's got very advanced setting. Yeah. Like, it looks like it's from a different era because this one, it looks, you know, a little rough around the edges. And that one, it ages really well, even for a late 70s movie. Mm -hmm. um, but they're both kind of doing a similar thing where a bunch of very innocent people are getting brutally murdered. Yeah. And, and they both play with gender politics and yeah. in interesting ways. And again, both movies with really significant legacies. Legacies, yeah, right? absolutely. Like, how many sequels did Alien spawn? Right, people are still watching it in theaters now. It's funny. Um, Aliens, partially inspired by a John Carpenter film, too. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Um, it was like his student film, or like the first thing that he did out of film school. Oh. A movie called Dark Star, which okay. is like a weird kind of genre bending comedy sci-fi film. But there's like an alien creature in that movie. Yeah. And the look of that creature like inspired Geiger. A alien. Okay. And, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean and he So even, it's a weird like convoluted like yeah. he lineage. inspired this and then yeah. <laughs> well and he predicts his own career in this movie because the movie they're watching because it's the I mean, is the thing. <laughs> the, the original. I saw the, 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 the cool one. like yeah, title card yeah. animation yeah, the come up. Thing. And yeah. I was like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, they're gonna do it. Yeah. Um which is it, to me, I think it shows a director that knows where the genre's been, right? Like, he, he knows what he is, the context in which he is placing this film. Um, he's, he's well watched, and he's signaling that to the audience. Yeah. Like, that he even, he even mentions explicitly multiple times in the film, like, we're going to go watch a bunch of horror movies, right? Like, he knows that this is taking place within a, a culture, a, a culture and a genre language yeah. that predates him and, and that also, he, he is updating but using. They, they, they're watching this old black and white <coughs> movie on this big old ass TV, and it reminded me of all those scenes in It Follows yeah. that, that are probably directly referencing this scene. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't link these two movies when I 
picked it follows, but yeah, you're right. The parallels are very, very clear. Yeah, I mean, right? they're, like, they're, they're definite references. It's part of that, yeah. like, lineage, so it makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, the, the monster is similar, almost identical, right? And yeah, the visual cues are similar. Yeah, um, and like, it follows this ambiguous time period probably mm -hmm. makes it feel a little more like this movie, because this movie is set in the 70s when it was made. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, then it follows, becomes even more responsive because this movie has such problematic sex politics and then it follows, it follows doesn't. Purposely right? doing the opposite. Right, like perf yeah. purposely saying that, you know, that's not how this functions, that this, this movie that you think is about sex really isn't about sex, right? Like that is interesting, whereas Halloween is this movie that you don't, you don't think is about sex, but really it's all about sex. <laughs> that's exactly what this movie's about. Um, how many of the sequels have you seen, Grassman? Uh, I think I saw two, but I haven't seen really beyond that. I haven't seen the Rob Zombie remakes. <laughs> and the, the apparently very controversial Rob Zombie remakes. Some people really like them. <clears throat> I'm sure people like Rob Zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in probably by the time this comes out, the the it's more spiritually the correct. I don't know how I don't, to say I haven't it. seen it. Yeah. It's a sequel, but they're getting rid of like all the other lore back to this one. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah, they're retconning like all Everything the else? all the other Wait, with sequels. The, the new remake that's about to come out. The new remake is a direct sequel to okay. this film, and okay. it's ignoring all the other. It's pretending the other sequels. So the sequel, sequel to like... Halloween is Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie Lee Curtis is in starring it. the same lead actor. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's in a lot of the other sequels. She's in almost all of them, I think. I, I don't know. I she's in her. at least one of them. I because I, yeah. I saw her on the poster. No, I remember in, that from the late night. Yeah, she was in eight, the, the H two O. Yeah, whatever H2O, that. H two O. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny, I know that Carpenter. I might have seen that one. I know that he like exact produced directly two and three, and then he just kind of probably collected checks for all the others. Right. He's like, oh wait, I can just stay at home. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will do that. Yeah, he might have even directed two, but I, I forget. I haven't seen um, him, so I don't know. But. He made m other much better films, and yeah, in this one. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. I still think this is properly placed in the canon. Right? Like, I think that this one deserves it. But yeah. yeah, like the thing is better than this. Like as as cinema, like as a, as cinema, it's better. Than this. Yeah, I think even like Escape from New York is that movie's better. It's kooky hoot. and yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's not a horror movie, right? Like Escape from no, New York. No, no, not, not at all. It's not meant yeah. to be. No, I, yeah, I know that, and yeah. like it's it's good to see him. You know, branch out a little bit like that. Yeah, oh. um, that's a great movie. And I love uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I think it's yeah, I know you do. Yeah, great, <laughs> great film. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I've seen Escape from New York. That's too bad. I haven't seen Big Trouble. Yeah, that is too bad. Um, speaking of John Carpenter, this is apropos of nothing. It's just a, a thing that cropped up on Twitter that I want to mention. He he said that he's thinking about um, making another movie or coming out of retirement, except that right now his life revolves around video games and the NBA. <laughs> that's why he's. That's why he's not. He's just Wilson, right? He, now. Right. And I was like, oh, I, I totally, I totally get that. John Carpenter, we're on the same page. Um, so I guess uh, John Carpenter and I are pretty. Him and Nicholson agree, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how many video games Nicholson plays, but he replaces it with even more NBA. Probably yeah. games. Yeah, probably. I can see a game. Yeah, I could too, actually. <laughs> he's a shit talker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any any closing thoughts on on Halloween? I. I like the, I like all John Carpenter films. Okay, um, that's, that's a lot of them. Then yeah, you are, you are well equipped. <laughs> uh, I've seen most of them, and this one is actually for its normalcy <clears throat> is surprisingly weird for the rest of his career. Yeah, I think this is a, a 
fantastically rich film. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of the reason it's rich is because it's so simple in a way. What, right? like, yeah, I think what I mean is that like of all, all of his films, this one's the most like grounded. Yeah. In that it like yeah. exists kind of in the real world. And Almost. the rest of his films are just like zany and kooky, and that's one of the reasons that his like films are so great. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if people talk about variations on a theme, usually in reference to composing music. Yeah. But it feels like this is the theme, right? And <laughs> like everything else is variations on like this grounded original text, and and not in a you know direct way, but in a way that. It, you can draw a lot back to Halloween, um, which speaks to I think the solidness of this movie. Yeah, right? that is just, for sure. It, it's just a solid piece. Any any last thoughts, Charles? Um, I mean, I appreciate it for what it is. Okay, I good. can see like I can trace the 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 ancestry of the genre through this movie. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and, and I think in that sense, like even if you don't want to you know, engaged with the semiotics of Halloween, <laughs> that's fine. That it still is interesting as a, as a historical piece and that where you can say like, oh, that's where that came from, that's where that music's from, that's why that mask is important, right? Like, in that sense, it's still like a fun watch and a, a, a pleasurable cinematic experience. And when did they start doing that thing where <clears throat> like the person disappears, you know? Like now they have the trope where like a car drives by and the person's and gone. gone. Where did Harry Osborne go? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that didn't stem from this movie, did it? I don't know, frankly. Yeah, it's probably a Hitchcock reference. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember it be being in any, in any of the Hitchcock movies <clears throat> we saw. But that's a pretty That's a hard case. thing to trace though, like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I have, I have no idea. But it's like, it's a real trope. I could probably look it up on TV tropes after this, actually. But, Absolutely, you know. yeah, and it's used many times. Yeah, <laughs> this, that's like kind of his yeah. superpower. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you, I don't you know. do see him briefly like slink off screen for one of them. Yeah, there's a kind of, yeah, yeah. So he's which again just complicates it further, right? So like it's he isn't. He's just really fast. Yeah, he's not just <laughs> teleporting from place to place. Which is yeah. what this, the sense you get in it follows. Right, so you, you get this funny <laughs> image of when he disappears behind the bush of after he like goes behind the bush of him like sprinting down the alleyway <laughs> yeah, to right. get out of view. It's like doing his fucking Naruto run. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they, the guy who plays... Uh, Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Uh, his father was like a choreographer. And Interesting. something about that, like, he was able to sort of get like movement down in a way that they like... Huh. Couldn't find in like other actors. That's mm -hmm. interesting. So, it's it kind of like yeah. kind of like yeah. George Miller casting Charlize Theron in Mad Max because she has a dancing background. Mm. Right? Yeah, like just control of the body can be so important in some roles. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah, and even if it's just asking the body to do something drastically different than what it had been asked to do before. Yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. That's a, that's a good bit. I think he's coming back for the new one. Or I'm like sure. he is. I'm curious. Sure yes, I'll take a whole bunch of money to. Not have any lines. To yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's been like a director or something. Okay, been like directing films, but oh, now he's back as an actor. Keep working, man. Yeah. Get them checks. All right, all right. Well, we be, we will be back in a moment with things we've seen. See you then. All right, and we're back with things we've seen. This is a segment where we just talk about things that we watched recently, not all together. Sometimes more contemporary. Charles, what did you watch recently? Uh, this was an airplane movie, but I saw <laughs> nice. the uh, Jurassic World sequel, I believe it was called Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. And I thought it was just terrible. Uh, I yep, think yeah. I would have rather <laughs> tried to go to sleep instead of 
watched through that movie. Uh, I, I think you saw it and talked about it here. I don't remember I what you said about it, but... That it's a weirdly an animal rights movie. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> yeah. sort of. It tried to do that. It, it was, if you, if they really twisted it, they could have gone for some kind of like climate change allegory for this. Like they didn't really do anything with any of that. And then it became a like, you know, military auction thing. I don't know. But oh yeah, I remember now. Like, like, no, it's, yeah, it's like specifically like anti-big game hunting. Yeah. Like yeah. they call that out specifically. It was just weird. Like they go from the big expansive epic dinosaur thing into this weird like spy thriller where they're sneaking through the auction place to try to free the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like none of it was very compelling. There were a few cool dino scenes, but those are only worth a few seconds where they have the dinosaur in the dark and then like something will light up and you see the shadow of the dinosaur or something like, those were cool. Yeah. But there were like two of those and like they don't make a movie obviously. Um, <laughs> they somehow managed to make Chris Pratt just not that interesting and he does it effortlessly usually. So like good job, right? <laughs> like he doesn't have anything to do in this movie. He's just there because he's a good face for the poster. Right, and so what a waste. Yeah, because I feel like it's so hard to make him not seem interesting. I think what this movie does wrong is that, like, Jurassic Park, in the first film, and even in the second film, The Lost World, to an extent, does a good job of like this is like a place. Yeah, Jurassic Park is, you know, it's an amusement park, and that's like important to the story and that sense of like setting really important and to take it out of that interesting setting because that's what's interesting about Jurassic Park is yeah th this it's a bizarre mix of like rules. entertainment and genetics and, and it's constructed and, and yeah, yeah 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 and to remove it from that feels like the a bad idea you take away the heart <laughs> of it right yeah you really do and then yeah. like this but, is a spoiler for those oh no go ahead but that, that is well-tread among all the films that they've tried yeah. to be like, this place of Jurassic Park is interesting. Mm -hmm. And the films that have been bad, like Jurassic Park 3, like didn't engage again with the setting well. They um, just go, oh, cool dinosaurs, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess, okay, so where I was going to go is, this is a bit of a spoiler, but who cares care. anymore? Yeah. Just warning you in no, case. It's on airplane, but so you can spoil it. <laughs> yeah, um, it turns out that the grandpa's granddaughter is actually a clone of his daughter, and they reveal that, and then they do nothing with it, except that she like identifies with the dinosaurs and lets them go or something, and I thought that yeah. was incredibly stupid. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, that they decide stupid. not to let the dinosaurs out, and they're about to die because they're like, this is too dangerous, the dinosaurs are gonna wreak havoc yeah, on the like, world if they get let them. out, and you can't, can't let them back into Pandora's box and all that, right? So they resolve to not hit the button to let them out, and just watch the dinosaurs as they die. And then suddenly the doors open and they turn around. The little girls hit the button and she's like, oh, they're alive, just like me. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I think I, I said this when I discussed it last time, but what bothered me about this movie is that it's like a hashtag resistance movie. Yeah. Because yeah. like the one, the, <clears throat> one of the main bad guys is meant to look like, uh, he's a Sean Spicer-like character, but he also has Trump hair. So like when the dinosaur finally gets him, it like breathes on him. His hair like kind of blows up, oh, and it's like I have already forgotten like, that. <laughs> yeah, Which character was that? He's like the auctioneer, like the 
Oh, that, okay. That, like, little, okay, the guy with the weird face who gets cast in these kinds of roles. Yeah, he's a good, like, character actor, yeah. but this is, like, meant to be, like, uh, fuck you, Trump, like, okay. God, you're the dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> you have funny okay. hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that, actually, but that's funny. Yeah, yeah. that that stood out to me, because the other, the people that he's working with, like, are all, like, Russian kind <laughs> of uh, military spy kind of characters, Yeah, and he's, like, in okay. business with those characters. Okay. And it's like, come on, like, what? I also, so they had Jeff Goldblum step in to do some narration like and not, inter not interact yeah. with any of the characters, right? But they have him do the narration at the end when they're doing a montage of the dinosaurs who have started mingling with the Earth because they've been let go. And he does this long monologue. And that was just so cringy. It was awful. Yeah, he's just, just like cashing a check. It's and, terrible. Yeah. And then they end the movie on him making a really terrible monologue. <laughs> well, I'm going to continue to not watch yeah, this don't, movie. Don't uh, no take an extra to. two hours of sleep instead of watching this drag. I never watched Planet Yeah, movies. again, I was like... Come on, that like Bosasaur. I want to like see it. To to quote, yeah. Was it Jeff Goldblum in the third one? I don't know. That, or no, it was in the first one. I think when he says, "That's a really big pile of shit." Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I go. feel about this movie. All right. Well, you've once again convinced me. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna watch it. I want to see that like the <laughs> fish dinosaur. Like. Right. They show it for two seconds. I want to see it like fuck some stuff up. And yeah. It, they show it on the it beach for two like seconds. It's like such a tease. It's like. Uh, whatever it's like, you saw oh, in the trailer. Be dope. And then it's just like cut away. The trailer <laughs> like, was the too whole expensive. Scene. That was all yeah, of it. Fuck like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you see, Crossman? Anything good? Uh, I rewatched, or I'm not sure if I'd actually seen this film before. I know I've seen parts of it. Um, I rewatched uh, Rumble in the Bronx, the Jackie Chan oh, movie okay. from late '80s. I want to say like '87. I've seen a good amount of Jackie Chan. I never saw that one. Um, you should. It's yeah. really good. Um, if anything, it's just like a showcase for his prowess as a martial artist. It's incredible. Like his. I mean, he does all his stunts. Yeah. He looks like he's on anabolic steroids in this movie because uh, he's like really like jacked in this film. He's like shredded. He's in prime form. But this stuff, it's, it's, ama it's amazing to like watch him do things. The rest of the film is like complete nonsense. Like the plot makes no sense. Everything is like <laughs> incredibly contrived. Points the rumbling. Yeah. Yeah. One thing in the movie does it's kind of surprising is that like he gets kind of like trapped by this gang and you're like oh he's gonna kick this shit out of this gang and like they end up like kind of beating him up which I was like what? <laughs> like what? What just happened? That like undercut. Is, is he suck now? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then later you see him do all sorts of amazing things like jump uh, between buildings in New York and then Sweet. and during the credits they show like the actual like him doing it Damn. and like he just like Jump from one building to another and landed on like a pad. <laughs> and, okay. Like, like they pretty much just like risk Jackie Chan's life to like had make to that shot. Jump over a deadly chasm. Yeah. yeah. Damn. And yeah. then later he jumps like from like a bridge pylon onto a boat, and they show again in the credits that he like. <laughs> Broke his leg doing that. Oh Some god! Tom Cruise shit yeah. right there. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It really is. And then they show him like in a cast, and they <laughs> they very cleverly like hide it because they like kept shooting. <laughs> um, they cleverly hide it where he like shows this like weird sock that looks like a shoe, and they pull it over <laughs> the end of his cast, and he has like a specially cut like <laughs> pant leg. Okay. And then they just like go on and shoot some scenes, and he's like in like a harrowing like car chase scene on the top of um, 
a hover boat or what are those like inflated boat? a pontoon? No, but like one that goes just, on land. Just a hovercraft. A hovercraft. Yeah, oh. yeah, okay. hovercraft. Okay. It's like a giant hovercraft, and the, it like collides okay. like horizontally with a bus, and he's like holding onto a rope. What with a broken leg? With a broken leg. <laughs> okay. And he's actually doing it because he's, he's Jackie like, Chan. Yeah, 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 totally. That sounds really dangerous and uninsurable these days. <laughs> it, it, it is. Yes. It is. And they show a number of other people, like stunt actors in the credits, like getting like Killed. seriously injured, <laughs> like very seriously injured. So I wonder like how many times they get sued to like make this film. It's amazing though to watch. Yep. Like you can fast forward through any non-action scene. It doesn't <laughs> you won't it won't make any more sense or less sense. All right. But those action scenes are incredible. Okay. Yeah. Is this another one on Prime? Uh, yeah, I believe it is, yeah. Okay, That sweet. sounds right. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the list. Yeah, Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx. All right. Uh, what did you see, Wilson? I saw two movies. Okay. I want to talk about both of them because they were surprisingly similar. Only okay. two? Well, two that I'm going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> they were surprisingly similar. So I saw Star is Born and, a Fir and First Man. Um, these are the first big Oscar bait movies. Stars were in the fourth remake, right? Yes, Stars Born. the fourth one. Uh, also, I'd never heard of it, so that's weird to me. Really? Yeah. You haven't even heard of it? No. Oh wow. Okay. I mean, not so, before this iteration. Yeah. This is the this is the fourth one. I thought it was like a play or something, but yeah. no, it's it's Absolutely. the fourth movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I'm, I'm not in this. <laughs> Shallow. The the song is the safest Oscar bet since Gravity winning all the technical awards. If you're in an Oscar pool, pick Shallow for best original song. Okay. It's got it unlocked. Um, so the story is well thread. Uh, the it, it's kind of an auteur work. It's Bradley Cooper directed it. He also stars in it as Jackson Maine, an aging alcoholic drug addict rock star who discovers Lady Gaga playing Allie, who gets no last name, um, and recruits her to join him on tour because she's a really good singer. Apparently, she's performing in in this iteration, uh, drag bar um, that he happens to stumble upon while he's looking for alcohol, um, the, they develop a romance, um, he falls in and out of alcoholism, she becomes very famous, she is the title star being born. Um, apparently there are people that don't know how this series ends and you didn't even see, hear, hear this, so really I'm not going to spoil the ending of it, because okay. um, I'm kind of surprised they went there on this one. Uh, but that's the, the, the title of the movie gives away what happens, right, like it's about Allie becoming famous. First Man is about Neil Armstrong. Uh, it's directed by Damien Chazelle, who's the same guy that did Whiplash and um, La La Land. Like La La Land, it stars Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong, First Man on the Moon. And it's a pretty straight ahead telling of how NASA did that, basically, and the context in which that happened within NASA. Uh, it is, as a piece of cinema, it's remarkable because he really does a good job, Chazelle does, of communicating the physical terror and danger of actually going and being the first person to land on the moon and go into space. Yeah. He spends a lot of time with the camera inside the, the various space capsules, so you don't get these wide, you know, far off shots like you do admiring the vessel itself. You're like, it's claustrophobic. You're like it, 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 makes, it makes space feel like something that you are trapped in rather than something that opens up to you, mm -hmm. which is a good choice. The drama of the movie comes, is introduced right at the beginning. Um, we see two things. We see the first low orbit flight that Neil Armstrong attempts where he ends up crash landing his 
vessel and like almost dying. Immediately after that, we have a sequence where his daughter, young daughter, um, we learn that she is diagnosed with cancer and dies, oh. um, which is apparently true. Like that, that actually happened. She was, looked like she was like six, right? So it's this, this great tragedy for this family. From there, Giselle frames Neil Armstrong's quest to go onto the moon as a response to his grief, right? So we have very consistent flashbacks to his fond memories of his time with his daughter. We have moments where he is unable to cope with his grief in any reasonable way and has to, you know, leave parties at inconvenient times, right? Like he applies to NASA to get this job very shortly after learning that his, his daughter has, has passed away, right? The choice that Giselle makes is not just that he is doing this to cope with the death, but that the death and his, and of, of his daughter and Neil Armstrong's grief is a condition precedent to his actual success. Because once he does finally get to the moon, we see him finally achieve catharsis. And that spoiler, yeah, look at that. He we, <laughs> turns out we did land on the moon, and he does get over it. Um, so, what happens is that every bad, because surprise, surprise, Neil Armstrong is not a man who handles his emotions very well and doesn't really engage with his grief in a healthy way. Turns out that it, when you don't handle your emotions very well and you don't engage with your grief in a very healthy way, you achieve great things. <laughs> and that seems to be the message of this film. His. Claire Foy plays his wife in a truly thankless role, both in real life, it seems, and in the movie, that she is, spends a lot of time like listening to the radio to see if he's going to blow up on his way up into space, yelling at NASA people that they're not taking good enough care of him and just generally being a put-upon wife, all in service of this great man's achievement that he is doing for all of us as this great American that is going to you know, defeat communism and bring the world together. Compare that to Star is Born, where we have what is really supposed to be the Star's movie, the Lady Gaga character. Really, it's Jackson Maine's movie. It's Bradley Cooper's movie. It's about his quest through and failing to deal with his alcoholism. She is there along for the ride in such a way that her character motivations don't really even make much sense from scene to scene, mm -hmm. despite Lady Gaga's strong performance because they are only ex existing to serve his tortured artist act. And it goes so far as Allie doesn't get a last name until the very end of the film when she identifies herself as Allie Maine after she marries the Bradley Cooper character. Mm. I, br I bring these two movies together not to say that they're bad, because in cinematically both of them work really well. Like I was sitting next to uh, to two girls at my Star is Born screening that were bawling, right? Like, it clearly struck a nerve with them. First Man is genuinely thrilling to watch at many, many moments. Jamie and Giselle is a very good filmmaker. Ryan Gosling is a very good actor who gives a very strong performance. However, I think it's important to think about what movies we are, or what stories we are deciding to tell in cinema. And right now, we have two movies that are deadlocks for Best Picture nominations. One's, if, if either of these get fewer than four nominations in general, I will be stunned. And they're mm -hmm. both movies about how great men should be propped up at every opportunity by the women in their lives <laughs> and that everything around them should fall away in favor of them achieving that greatness. And that when they achieve that greatness, we are all better off for it. 
and that, that we have two movies at the same time that are both going to be locks that are, that are delivering that message, this is especially true of First Man in, in a larger social context, is noteworthy and troubling. And I think that we need to be keeping that in mind when we watch these movies because a lot of people have watched these movies and are going to watch them as the year continues and as they get more Oscar buzz. To wit, there is a sequence in First Man where two of the astronauts have died. Like this is known, there was an explosion when they were doing one of the tests to go up to space. That was, no, I'm sorry, it was three of the astronauts have died. Immediately after that, we have a sequence of multiple in intellectuals, this is original content, like Kurt Vonnegut, like um, we have what the uh, telling of Whitey on the moon, contrast with men coping with their colleagues having died, training to go into space. The message is clear. These guys don't understand what these great men are trying to do and how hard it is for them. And that that is the message that Damien Chazelle is trying to tell us, especially after La La Land, where we see a man setting aside his, his relationship so that he can achieve his career, Whiplash, a man breaking up with his girlfriend so that he can be a great drummer. Those are the stories we're telling. That's really important. Same thing as Star is Born. Watch these movies. They're good. They're important. How they fit into the, the culture is important. But keep in mind how they're treating women and how they're vaulting great white men's stories above all else. So. That's my, my spiel on Star is Born and First Man. Mm. Do they show Neil Armstrong punching anybody? That was Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Uh, he, oh, right. Buzz, yeah, Buzz Aldrin is in this movie. He kind of plays the heel, okay. which was an interesting choice. Yeah, he's in it. Um, but yeah, it all takes place during that sequence when, in the 60s when they're, they're preparing the Project Gemini gotcha. to get up to the moon. Uh, so no, they don't depict him punching anyone. <laughs> it's too serious of a movie for that. Um, that's one of the funniest things about them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was, someone was like, you didn't land on the moon. He's just like, it's awesome. cold, yeah. cold clock. Right. The, the way they characterize Buzz Aldrin here, it's totally plausible that he would do that. Okay. Like, the guy that they present in this movie is also the guy that would punch someone for right. claiming it's a lie. Um, so maybe there's some consistency there. Uh, so we have a, we're done with our horror month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charles has now suffered through two of these. <laughs> Both of them were, <laughs> were five Monday Octobers as well. Um, uh, so I survived. You survived and even, I think, enjoyed at least a couple of them. Yeah, um, mostly intact. So we're going to, Crossman and, and I have, have jointly decided to make amends <laughs> by, mm -hmm. uh, by doing a sci-fi November. So uh, of the handful of sci-fi movies that Charles hasn't seen, we're going to select four over the course of November, and uh, that will be our, our theme for the month. I think it's my turn? Yeah. All right, so I think the largest one that is missing from your repertoire that you most likely enjoy is Wrath of Khan. Um, I think we need to do Star Trek II. Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan, yeah. the good one. You do not need to have seen any other Star Trek movies to appreciate or understand this movie. I haven't, and I still liked it. Okay. Um, so that's going to be our next month. Uh, thank you for listening to our Horror October. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we welcome your feedback, um, and please share the show with your friends if you are enjoying it, and join us next month for Wrath of Khan.